The following program is a paid presentation. The views and or opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of Starnes Media Group or KWAM. Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, and Drew Johnson are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And good morning and welcome to Talk Money. Whether you're a baby boomer, or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Welcome to Talk Money. Well, today we are privileged to have as our guest Mr. Bob Dahl, Chief Investment and Officer of Crossmark Global Investments. And he is always, every year, has been known for many, many years of doing what he calls the 10 predictions. And not just it calls it, they are 10 predictions. And he has a phenomenal success ratio of these predictions. And it goes from what he thinks the market's headwinds are, tailwinds, what politically we look for in the, this time in the midterm elections. Let me quote something that he has said that I think is so important because it sets the stage. We see this in 2021, but what are we looking for and what can we anticipate in 2022. Well, that's why we've asked him to be on our program today is to give us his predictions to help us understand some of the things that we can look for. But here's what he says about 2021. And I quote, 2021 experienced amazing earnings, growth, which powered equity power. I I think that's important. Let me say it again. 2021 experienced amazing earnings, Growth. Now, earnings growth. What are you saying? He's earnings growth, which powered equities higher. Now, we all know that. But the good part about it is that's a true statement. And he predicted it in 2020. I like that. So welcome to the program, Mr. Dahl. Thank you, Mr. Jim. I am so excited about having you on today because there, you know, you have done this over and over again, and I, I, I was trying to read your quote because, again, thinking that the thought about it and just using that pause, 2021 experienced amazing earnings growth, which powered equities higher. Well, you know, the good part about it, you predicted that, and the good part about it is this was a thought process that you were thinking, and now I want to hear what you're going to tell us about 2022. What can we expect in 2022? So I'm not going to talk anymore. I want to start number one. You are the man. Number one prediction for 2022, sir. So um, before I do that, one more comment about the earnings from last year. As you know, Jim, your listeners should should hear it too. The gap between earnings that were expected and earnings delivered was the widest gap in a positive direction in history. Corporate America lit it up, did an amazing job. So earnings were expected to be good, but they were great. And before I uh, go to number one, the theme for our predictions this year, Jim, if I might, is a tug of war, a tug of war between the negative headwinds of valuation and the positive tailwinds of still good earnings. And I think that's going to give us uh, a whippy sort of frustrating market up for a period, down for a period, and uh, going to be tough to make money this year. So to answer your question, number one, U.S. real growth and inflation remain above trend but decline from 2021 levels. In other words, 
We're expecting economic growth to be good again this year, but not as good as last year. For inflation to be troublesome, but at a headline level, not as bad as last year. It's not going to be 7% this year. So another good year from a fundamental standpoint. You know, and I, I guess when you say that, and I think through that process, I, I don't want to interrupt your thoughts, but I, I just think when you, you know, when you say real growth and inflation remain above the trend, but not, I guess what we, what I'm hearing you say is 2021 was off the charts. We all know that. We've all felt that. We've all experienced that. And we've all enjoyed that. And you're telling us, don't be expecting 2022 to be the same. Is that kind of what I'm hearing from number one? Correct. It'll be good, but not quite as rosy as the record-setting 2021. I could have made that prediction. I think I don't. You think <laughs> yeah, I, I probably could have said because it was yeah, off the charts. Yeah. <laughs> but by the way, but I'm done. That's my only prediction. <laughs> yeah. But importantly, Jim, above the long-term trend, we're not going back to average. We're still going to be above average growth. That's a great point. Thank you, sir. Number two. Number two. Inflation falls but core inflation remains stuck at around 3%. Your view on inflation is, in, is critical to the view of markets this year. Remember, the Fed for so long was saying, don't worry about inflation. They used the word, it's transitory. And they finally banished that word from our vocabulary, agreeing with the white paper we put out in September of last year, saying, no, 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 no. Inflation is part transitory, but there's a core problem. And so, ironically, the inflation numbers will probably decline this year, but still at the end of the year be stubbornly high. We're not going back to 1% to 2% inflation. We're stuck between 3 and 4 Headline numbers currently are running around 7 as you know. And the, the cause of inflation, too much money chasing too few goods. When the government dumps money out of B-52 bombers, both the Fed and the fiscal authorities, they cause a problem down the line, and that's what we're experiencing. Do you think, Bob, when you think about it, when 1.4% inflation was what we were looking like you know, in 2020, um, can I expect inflation to really begin to affect what I'm putting on my table, this 3% number, the food, my clothing, you know, gas? And, you know, I heard someone, well, we're actually looking at the numbers, you know, where oil and gas may be up to $100 on the pump. I mean, not done at the pump, excuse me, $100 as far as uh, cost of oil and gas, oil. My point being, I guess, is, is this something I can say for 2022, or should I be thinking four or five years out? I hate to, I no, hate to ask it's, you that. It's, it's, it, sadly, Jim, as you know, it's here and now. I mean, all you have to do is, you just say, go fill up your car with gasoline and compare that to what you paid a year ago. Yeah. Go to the grocery store. Um, try to rent an apartment or buy a home. Try to buy a new car or a used car. Uh, all of these things are higher by a noticeable amount than they were. So it's hitting us here and now. Okay. All right. Number three, sir. Number three. For the first time since 1958 and 1959, 10-year treasuries provide a second consecutive year of negative returns. In other words, if you owned a 10-year treasury in 2021, you lost money. If you own one now, our guess is for the full year, you will lose money. You're already underwater given the rise in rates already this year. Two years in a row has not happened in over 60 years. That Negative returns on those treasury investments. Bonds are troublesome right now. 
Bonds are troublesome right now. Okay, that's that, that that's a third prediction, and you're saying it'll be that way for the rest of the year. Number four, stocks. I like it. Experience their first time. I like what you're about to say. Go ahead. Yeah, stocks experienced their first 10% correction since the pandemic and failed to make the gains widely expected. Coming into the year, people expected, strategists, that the stock market would go up with earnings, up 8, 9, 10, 11%. And we said, no, 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 not so fast. You've forgotten the headwind to valuations when interest rates and inflation creep higher. To argue for a 10% correction, that's actually almost like shooting fish in a barrel, too, because most 12-month periods have at least one 10% pullback. Um, and we think we're due. Maybe we, we, we've been at it uh, here over the last uh, uh, last, last, last bunch of weeks. Uh, but we're, we're, our view is this is going to be a harder year. Mm-hmm. Our target for the S&P coming into the year was 4550 um, and we're, uh, you know, with a decline we've seen year to date, we're only a percent or so away from that. All right. Now we've covered four of these predictions, and it's ever from real growth and inflation remain above trend, but decline from twenty one twenty one. That that tells me that we. I like your optimism, but you're being very realistic with two, three, and four. Number five, six, seven, and eight, you don't want to miss, but we got to take a break. And so stay with us. He'll come back, and what Bob's going to do is take us through the next six predictions, and you don't want to miss number 10. We'll be right back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Bob Dahl or Crossmark Global Investments. The views and opinions expressed are those of Bob Dahl only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money on KWAM, the mighty 990. My guest, Bob Dahl, Chief Investment Officer for Crossmark Global Investments. And we're walking through his top 10 production predictions, his 10 predictions, you might say, for 2022. We've covered four, and here is number five, cyclical. I like what you're going to – just the fact that you've looked, you're really saying some things here that I think people have to pay attention to, Bob. I'm not going to even say what it is, but number five. Yeah, the point of number five is not just what asset class do you own, stock versus bonds, but inside it, what do you own? And the prediction is cyclical value and small stocks outperform defensive growth and large stocks. So we have two trios here, and those trios tend to be correlated. So year to date, we got two out of the three. Cyclical and value are handily beating defensive and growth, um, small and big yet, yet, yet to come into play. Look, when cyclical value and small stocks do better, that's usually an environment where the economy is okay, maybe better than okay where interest rates creep higher, where earnings are pretty good, the exact environment we expect to find ourselves. And, you know, Bob, I, you know, the thought about that is that is uh, that is I like the way you put that and the way you say it, because so many people get caught up on last year's performance and what you look at last year. And and that's what you're saying is be careful with that. You know, past performance is not a <laughs> indication of future performance. So I appreciate you bringing that out, that we need to think about that. And you talk about financials and energy as energy that outperforms utilities and your prediction number six. I, I want to hear about that. Correct. Um, uh, the financial energy stocks, as you know, were good last year. This we expect to repeat this year. 
In fact, I know the year is early, but uh, the only two sectors that are up year to date are financials and energy. So we feel good about that. Financial stocks are cheap. They benefit from rising interest rates, uh, from a good economy where there's more loan growth. And in the energy patch, we just think it's supply and demand. Supply is a bit curtailed uh, some uh, for some political reasons, among others. And given a good global economy, uh, uh, demand for oil is going to be pretty strong. So the path least resistance for oil prices is up, and we've seen that, and that benefits these stocks. Wow, that's a, that's a great thought. And I mean, so many people would say, how can energy outperform? Well, obviously, that's the part of what you're saying for where the economy is moving. And some of that may be caused by inflation as we look at that, some of the cost of that going up. But here's the one I think is number seven, which I think is so, so critical. This is the idea that is I mean, Bob, I'm, this is one of those that I'm glad you're making it because I, I do understand and agree, but this is one of those that you could have easily bypassed and said, well, you know, it hasn't happened in a long time. I don't have to do that. But you didn't. You stepped into it. Number seven, sir. Yeah. yeah. So the question is, will international stocks ever beat U.S. <laughs> stocks again? The prediction is yes. International stocks outperform the U.S. for only the second year in the last decade. The U.S. has been dominant for a whole bunch of reasons. The United States stock market, as you know, Jim, is the most defensive stock market in the world. It does best relative to the rest of the world when things are so-so or worse. When growth is pretty good, as it's going to be this year, international stocks are more cyclical in orientation. And by the way, they're a whole lot cheaper. Yeah, you know, is that due to the pandemic? Is there is there cost related to the pandemic worldwide? That's certainly part of the story, no question about it. And look, we're not saying run out and sell all your U.S. stocks and go, you know, hog wild on, on, on international stocks. We're just saying, if like a lot of U.S. investors, they've had almost all of their investments domestic. If they have, stand up, take a bow, and do a little dollar cost averaging into international. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's called allocation. You need to know how to allocate that portfolio into a balanced portfolio. And most people, I think, think that away, but it's good for us to know that this year, and as you said, second year in the last decade, you're anticipating international stocks to outperform U.S. If you just tuned in, my guest is Bob Dahl. I almost said Dr. Bob Dahl. I just think of you as being the bright man, and I know one of the brightest men I know. Guys, I'm just, we got some other guys I'm going to introduce here in a minute. Drew Scott, Drew and Scott are with me, Drew Johnson and Scott Jordan. They're going to talk about some of the things that Bob's going to say, and then we're going to talk about ESG coming up. We'll find out a little bit more about it, but here I'm going to let it kind of be something that, Bob, you get to talk about it. Bob Dahl is the Chief Investment Officer, if you just tuned in, I want to make sure you know this, Chief Investment Officer for Crossmark Financial, and I mean uh, Crossmark Global Investments, and does a great job and helps us with a lot of things that he does. But Bob, you're very much involved in value-based investing, and you say that this year, number eight, values-based investing continues to gain share, and you leaned in a little bit and talked about ESG. Tell our listeners what you're thinking. Yeah, so um, we are finding more and more investors desiring to line up the, their investments with their values, which means I'm against these things and I'm for those things. So if you cannot own those things and give an extra kiss to these other things, I'd be a happy investor. There's a lot of that going on. It goes under a lot of different labels, as you know. Uh, ESG is one of them, values-based, faith-based. Uh, there are a lot of ways to look at this. Uh, particular subject, and we have enough evidence now uh, over the years that 
you don't give up a basis point of return. You know, if you asked me 10 years ago to do this, how much return do I have to give up to line up my uh, portfolios, my values? And I'd say, I'm not really sure. But now we have empirical evidence that shows you don't give up anything. After all, who doesn't want to own companies that are doing good and avoid companies that are doing bad? Mm. That's a great point. Bob, do you find that this is, uh, as you said, it's gaining some momentum and as a result of that? Do you see that long-term as being just the way we're going to be investing in the future? Uh, I mean, I, I, I think it's a, it's a trend. Is the trend long-term, or you think it's going to be kind of a, a quote-unquote fad? No, I think this is going to last. Um, uh, and depending on what moniker you look at, I mean, the ESG is the one that's most often talked about. And that's how a lot of huge growth, and there's more growth in front of, front of it. In the world of Crossmark, we're more faith-based. So that's a subset of this whole values-based story. And we're coming across people of all stripes wanting to line up their portfolios with their values. So there's a lot of run room there. That's, that's great to know. Bob Dahl, who is the Chief Investment Officer for Crossmark Global Investments, faith-based. And, uh, Bob, I'm so much uh, so proud of you there because I, I just know you. That's your heart. That's your belief system, and I, I so much appreciate that. Let's talk about number nine as far as your 10 predictions for 2022. Number nine is a little on the technical side, but here's the background. I get questions all the time about the federal debt and deficit. So I try to weave something in. And so the prediction this year is, after a 60-year low in 2021, the ratio of federal interest expense to federal revenue begins a long-term move higher. And say, so, hey, wait a minute, I thought with all that debt and deficits that interest expense at the federal level would be astronomical already. No. Interest rates have gone down faster than the debt and deficits have gone up, if you can believe it. And so that ratio is at a 60-year low. We think it'll go in the history books as the low for a long time to come. Wow. There is no free lunch. Wow, there is no free lunch. That's so critical. So uh, what would you say to the investor with that number nine being on the table? What do you say to the investor? I just say, be careful. We have borrowed from the future, and as a result... Uh, we're going to have to pay for our lunch, as it were. Not just today's lunch, but yesterday's and the day before. So it will put a little bit of a pall on growth, if you will. Um, some years it will be more visible, some years less visible. Um, but, uh, you know, my hope, personally, is that uh, it causes Washington DDC to wake up and say, you know, they can't spend the money they don't have and take more from us. Well, so you mentioned Washington, D.C. Top 10, or your number 10, prediction, which is always number 10, it's not like this is the 10 out of, you know, 100, but this is, this is bottom line is you're always, this is the one you come in. It's a political. It's Republicans. Who's going to do this? What's going to do that? You know, the Democrats, who's going to do this? What's, what are you saying for 2022? Right. You're right. Our 10th prediction is always political one, because politics affects markets. And the 10th prediction is Republicans gain at least 20 to 25 House seats and barely win the Senate. Uh, which means that we'll have most likely a Republican Congress, and of course we have a Democratic president, so that's a political standoff. Uh, markets tend to like the gridlock that, that happens. The U.S. is in the most politically volatile period it's been in 150 years. Evidence? Voters have removed the party in power in seven of the last eight elections, and we think that will happen again which basically renders President Biden's economic agenda after the next couple of months as pretty done. Mm. 
Wow. And, you know, this, again, uh, I think people, I think a lot of people have a little momentum in that direction, but for that to be your top 10 in both the House and the Senate, you're talking about gridlock. In the last minute, sir, tell me a summary of the 10 predictions. Yeah, the summary is back to where we started, um, uh, uh, Jim, and that is this is a year of a tug of war. And so we're going to be a lot of whiplash. We're going to have days and periods where the market's red and other days and periods where the market's green because we have these tailwinds of good earnings because of the reopening of the economy. But for the first time in a long time, we have headwinds from valuation because interest rates and inflation have and are moving higher. And uh, we think it's going to be... uh, a very frustrating year, uh, tough to make money. It's w- what you're in and when you're in it as opposed to I'm just going to own the stock market and let it ride, as mm. was the case last year. Yeah, that's a great point. It was uh, my uh, 15-year-old grandson could make money last year. This year you're saying it's going to be tougher. we got to be thinking about it. Got Bob to be Dahl. thinking about it, and you probably need a financial advisor to help. Uh, thank you, sir. Bob Dahl, Chief Investment Officer, Crossmark Global Investments. Bob, I want to say thank you. It's always a pleasure, sir, to have you on the program, and you always do a phenomenal job. Top 10 productions, or better, I guess better say not top 10, your 10 predictions. You want to pay attention to them. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. Talk to you later. All the best, Jim. Thank you, sir. It is always a pleasure to have him on the program, and we just thank him for what he's doing. We'll just stay with us now because we've got coming up. I got Drew Johnson and Scott Jordan. We're going to analyze what he said and look at ESG in detail. You don't want to miss that. Stay with us. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money on KWAM, the mighty 990. I want to remind you that you can find this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, you're listening to your podcast, just search for Talk Money and add with Jim Shoemaker. Subscribe to our podcast and, of course, leave us a review. We would absolutely appreciate it. You know, we've just listened to Bob Dahl, who is a dear friend and a chief investment officer, the chief investment officer for Crossmark Global Investments. And Bob has been in the industry and knows this industry, and his 10 predictions have been sought after by a lot of the media, a lot of the news media, the business media, and uh, we're privileged to have him on the program. But I have two guys here that are going to kind of dive into Bob's 10 predictions. And uh, we're going to kind of talk about them a little bit. And so my guests, Scott Jordan and uh, Drew Johnson. Guys, welcome to the program. Thanks for having us, Jim. Great to be here, Jim. All right. Great to be here. Boy, yeah, I, tell you, yeah, I like that. <laughs> great to be here. All right. Here's the deal. We heard, I mean, literally, a, 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 I think optimistic, 
but realistic type sure. of 10 prediction. That's normally where you get Bob, is that now he can be pessimistic if it's needed to be. He can be, I like what he is from a realistic standpoint. He doesn't try to take something, uh, you know, a sow's ear and turn it into a silk purse. He doesn't try to do that. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> hey, <laughs> that just, that Say just that came right out of nowhere. <laughs> I believe that one came straight out of Mississippi. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> no problem. Uh, yeah, but being from Mississippi, you understood I've, it, didn't I you? I understood it. You speak of my language. <laughs> you speak of my language. All right. But here's the thought. I mean, he's talking about some very, very critical things. When he says real growth, he's exactly right. 2021 was off the charts. Absolutely. And he says, hey, you know, my first prediction is it's going to be above trend, but not at what we saw in 2021. What do you think, Scott? I think that's a fairly. Um, I, you, I mean, I think you even said you could have made that prediction. I could have made go that back prediction. crazy. So I, I think that's a, an easy one, but it also brings up a good point to kind of set those expectations in the right area. You know, we're not going to see the year-over-year growth that we saw going from twenty, a very depressed year, to twenty-one, but. We do, or, or at least as Bob was saying, it, we do still expect to see good growth in 2022. So that's some positive news. That's and we, we saw earnings come out recently, and they continue to surprise. Like he said, earnings last year were, were blowing the expectations out of the water. Now, that that trend, it, it's, not, it's, it's not a long stretch to say that trend won't continue into 2021, but we'll still see growth. But, you know, a lot of people wasn't, were not expecting that last year. Not that, at all. That'd be off the not charts. Enough. And I think one thing, too, just to put kind of this scenario in mind, now this is the stock market that I'm not talking about growth. I We did some research and, the, and figured, you know, everybody knows this. I think it's easy to figure this out. But in the second year of, the, of a president, Joe Biden's second term, second year of his first term, on average, on average, the second years, presidential second years, usually gives us an average return of the S&P 500 of, a, of six, just a 6.7%. So, you know, if we can look at that, and that's saying, you know, the reality being that second years going all the way back to 1929, the average performance in the index, the S&P 500, now that's what we're talking about, of the presidential second years, has been a gain of 6.7%. And I think if we saw, you know, mid to high single digit returns this year off the stock market coming off of a year like last year, that would be that a would, expected and be a, a good thing to happen. A good thing so. to happen. So reality is, I, I like what he's, anything else that you saw, if he talks about inflation, you know, core inflation is going to hang around around 3%. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, again, uh, that that is something that Bob was talking about. I read, read his newsletter a lot, and, and that is something that he has been talking about, that, you know, the Fed was using that word transitory a lot, and we've talked about that on the show, and he was saying from a while back that there's going to be a sticky element to some of this inflation, but... And I, I think it's important to to say that he did say it was going to come back down significantly from the numbers we're seeing now, maybe to trend down a little higher than what we've seen on average in the last decade or so. Yep, I think I think that's right. I mean, some of it was going to be transitory related as it was to a lot of the supply chain issues that we saw in 21 and that are still, you know, frankly ongoing and probably will be for a good part of this year. But also there's the unemployment picture. We've got unemployment already getting back down to where you're seeing some tightening in the labor market, uh, but still a little bit further away from where it ended at the end of the last cycle. So, I mean, I think you're probably still going to see unemployment go down, which that's what ultimately is what drives growth, but probably 
probably seeing it go down at a bit slower pace month over month, and that's going to have an impact on growth as well. So, I mean, I, I think what he said about uh, real growth remaining positive but being a bit slower than 21 makes a lot of sense. That's a, yeah. that's a good point. That's a good point. You know, you talk about jobs, Drew. Uh, the Department of Labor said recently that 149.9, excuse me, 149 million, not 0.9, 149 million Americans had full-time jobs in 2021, and we saw a trend where they were adding, and last year, in 2021, we were adding 537,000 new jobs each month. So it, back to the reality is, if a person wants a job, there's the job. I mean, you can find a job. It's just some people at this point are still staying in that unemployment. Maybe they're holding out for a better job or holding out, you know, they don't particularly want that job. But we've got a lot of people working in today's market. And we are seeing that full employment number beginning to surface. And probably a lot of them were seeing prices shoot up throughout 2021. And they're thinking, well, you know, maybe I do need to go back to work. And some of them are probably waiting around thinking, well, you know, if, if prices come back down, then maybe I, I won't have to. And so it, there's just there's, there's still a lot of uncertainty that's out there that's driving some of these uh, lingering numbers, I think. Well, you know, I think it's important for us to say this because, I, again, when you do the research, and this is from the Department of Labor again, their average hourly earnings for employees in the private sector in 2021 rose by 4.7%. That's a big number a big when jump. you think about yeah, it. It's That's a big a jump. Huge. And in 2020, it rose by 5.5% for an average, a two-year average gain of 5.1%. And you compare that, you think, well, okay, 5.1%, is that really that big of a deal? Compared to, let's think about it, the average hourly earnings over the preceding 13 years from 2007, that goes back to the you know, the big recession to 2019, the average gain was only 2.5%. So it's literally doubled in the last average in the last two years versus, you know, you go back to 2007. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, when you, uh, basically growth and inflation are both driven by how many people are working and then what are they making. And if you've got more than your trend of people working and they're earning above what the trend has been, then you should see inflation be above trend as well. Uh, as well as growth, and that's exactly what we saw. Too much money facing chasing too few product. That's as the great Ronald that's, Reagan said. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The great Ronald Reagan. The great Ronald Reagan. If you just tuned in, well, I'm talking with Drew Johnson, and we're talking with Scott Jordan, and we're kind of reviewing some of the 10 predictions that we heard from Mr. Bob Dahl a few minutes ago. And uh, we're just kind of going through that idea of what did he say and what are we thinking about when we think about putting a portfolio together and how we should – he talks about stocks experiencing their first 10% correction, Scott. What do you think? I mean, that's kind of a big prediction. Yeah, but I also like – you know, he followed that by most years have a 10% <laughs> correction, and you and I know that. You know, yeah. the average inter-year drop in the S&P 500 is around 14%, and a lot of those years it goes on to finish positive. So that's not that uncommon for the stock market to pull back. It's a healthy part of the market, you know, get some of the froth out and of the market. And it should be expected. It should be expected. And not yes. not say, oh, my. and how, what happens yep. to us is we see a year like 2021, and again, everybody's doing great, and all of a sudden there's a pullback. It's like, oh my goodness, I've got to run to the shed and get, you know, protected because it's all going to fall apart. It, that's That's the market. Right. And I think in years where we've seen now, we've, you know, when you go back to 20, we saw a big drop, but we've had a lot of years with 
a little less than normal volatility at times, and that gets people comfortable to that, and they forget that you know pullbacks are a normal part of the market and not anything to be overly concerned about. That's a great, great point. Let me ask you this. When he talks about international stocks, Drew, I want you to kind of play – give me some – international stocks outperforming the U.S. for the second time in the last decade. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a big product, prediction because if people look at the U.S. market as being – the healthiest, the biggest, the, you know, the biggest volume of trades and any other. What's your thoughts? Well, I mean, when we're talking about international stocks or U.S. stocks, remember, we're talking about where their headquarters is located is what we're really talking about. But you could have companies located all over the world that they may get the majority of their revenue from the U.S. That can certainly happen. And so it depends on where those companies are doing business, not so much where they're located. And so if they're dependent on U.S. growth and U.S. is the leader in growth, which I don't know if it will be this year or not, but if it is, those companies located overseas that do business here are going to benefit from that more than U.S. companies that might get the majority of their revenue from overseas. All right. That's that's a great statement. Any thought about the Republicans and the Democrats? Scott? I, I concur with Bob's prediction. I think that'll probably be the case. And, and as you know, the market likes gridlock because that puts them a little more certainty into nothing's going to get done and we can go back to doing business. And if anything that he said, that's probably the most positive. I mean, not so much. And again, I definitely like the fact that we're going to change the House and change. But the reality is the gridlock. We have watched the gridlock be a positive term, you know, over the years and how it affects things and how it does make things happen. So stay with me, because when we come back, I've asked Drew and Scott to kind of dive into this question that we've gotten from a listener. Who's, and if you got a question for us, just send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. And the question is, what is an ESG? Stay with us. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Certain strategies with an emphasis on environmental, social, and governance, or ESG factors, take into account non-financial objectives and limit the investment opportunities available to an investor. ESG investments may underperform or perform differently than strategies that do not have an ESG focus. An ESG focus may result in investing in securities or industry sectors that maintain a different risk profile than the market generally, or a different risk profile when compared to strategies that are not screened for ESG standards. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Just to remind you that if you would like to simply listen to our podcast, you can find the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. That would be very much appreciated. Now, we, you just heard the disclaimer. We, we're talking about ESG, and you understand that what we're doing is it's because we've gotten questions about what is ESG investing. A lot of media input about it. A lot of, uh, you know, just uh, it's take a mountain of in energy all of a sudden is talking about ESG. And I know Drew's going to say this, but Drew, I'm going to steal your thunder, okay, just for a second. ESG, even though it's all of a sudden the media is all over it, guys, it's been around since 1960. And I know my first introduction to what an ESG type of fund or investing was in the late 70s. So this is not a new subject, but it sure is getting a lot of attention, Drew. That's the reason for the question. So for our listeners, 
What is ESG investing? Yeah, well, b- thanks for having me on, Jim. And you know, back in the '60s when it started, you know, this is before we even landed on, on the moon. That's how old this is. You know, back then they called it socially responsible, and really it excluded what we or what at the time people called vice stocks or sin stocks: your alcohol, tobacco, gambling. That's those were mainly the kinds of companies that were excluded from what you would call a socially responsible investment strategy. You know, I remember the first time, uh, Scott, when I had a discussion about this. This has been back in the late 70s. And I, I was sharing this with a pastor friend of mine, and I said, you know, would you be interested in investing in socially responsible? Or we talked about faith-based. And I have to tell you what he said. I'm not going to tell you who it was, but I'll tell you what he said. And Because I, I went through Vice, and, you know, whether it be something like that. And uh, then he looked at me and said, well, you know, I really would but would I have to also stop using my shampoo and soap and <laughs> and I can't eat my weed? In other words, whatever company you got that's going to possibly maybe do something like that. And he looked at it from a standpoint, and I understood it's different today. I understood he was saying if we get into doing something as severe as trying to eliminate things, quote-unquote, some of those stocks, you were t- some of those t- areas that you were talking about, Am I also going to have to do it with things that I didn't really know about, you know, because I don't know how to find that out? That's a great point. And, you know, I mean, ever ever since then, it, it, it's gone on to include a lot of other categories like pornography or weaponry or, you know, a whole host of other things. And they're not all created equal. You've no, got, not. You've got some funds that will exclude this but not that. And so you really have to know what you're looking for. But it can be tailored so that you're not – excluding, you know, practically everything that you're that you can take a more targeted approach, but you have to know what the manager's trying to do. And I think that's important for people to know. We had a time one time when one of our investment managers has bought Playboy Playboy stock. And we just simply said that was not going to be we couldn't we could not support him. We liked him. We'd used him for years. And he was trying to make, you know, of course, investment for his clients. And uh, we were one of his clients. But we just said that's not something we can, can hold in our portfolio. And we moved the money away from him. That was our choice. And he understood it. And uh, he did call me back later on. He said, okay, I've sold it. Can you come back? And we actually did some additional business with him because we, we actually liked him and knew he was a great guy. But but that's really what we're talking about, making a conscious choice about what is are your what is your money being used for. Right. You've got you've got a, a negative and a positive aspect to that. You've got, okay, what are the companies that are doing business in areas that I really don't want to have anything to do with because I I morally object to it or I think it's bad for society. You have that aspect of, but then you also have the positive aspect of what kinds of companies do I want to be investing in? Do I want companies that are out, are are they curing cancer or are they solving problems of pollution or are they helping to make cars safer or that that kind of thing? Going out and looking for companies that are doing the kinds of things that help society get better, help individuals live uh, better lives, more healthy lives, safer lives. So they're, they're there are twin aspects to it. ESG, let's make sure everybody gets this understanding. It's, it's environmental, social, and governance. So you just pretty much described that, though, but let's make sure everybody understands. ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. So, Scott, let me ask you this today. With the client calling or, the, the excuse me, the person that sent the, uh, the email wanting to know the answer, what we what is ESG investing, the comment was it seems to be an enormous – uh, portfolio today, or a lot of people are doing it. He he had heard it on a couple of things, I think, news media, things like that. How big 
is ESG investing today? I, I don't know the answer to exactly how big it is, Jim. I think it is gaining in popularity and market share. Uh, I think what what it boils down to is, you know, when you're investing, whether you're buying a stock or buying a bond, you're either owning a part of a company or you're loaning money to a company, and you're providing capital to that business to grow. And that business is going to have an impact, either good or bad, on society. And I think people are just starting to dig a little deeper into things and go, okay, if I'm investing my money in a business and it's going to basically enlarge their impact on society, you know, whether that's the employees, the shareholders, the, uh, the people the business does other business with, their suppliers, or society at large, if I'm going to put my money into it, I want to know that they're doing something that's either having a positive impact on society or I want to avoid companies that I feel are having a negative impact on society. And that's really an investor's choice to how they define that. And then that's more broad coming out in this ESG, which is a very broad term, by the way. Big term, broad term. I know, Drew, you did some research with Morningstar. Uh, You know, we talked about how big is it, but you've got some data from just the fourth or third quarter of last year, 2021. Right, And, and, and the third quarter, at the end of the third quarter, Assets invested in ESG style investing. Now, this is from Morningstar. This is from Morningstar. Was it three hundred thirty billion? And that is double what it was just at the start of the pandemic. So the the growth has really been quite big just over the last two years. It's really exploded since then, even though it's something that's been around, like you said, all the way back to the 60s. So the the momentum as we talk about ESG is obviously a lot of dollars are going into it. I think it's because it is taking traction. There is some people that's saying, I want my dollars to be socially responsible. I want them to, you know, when you say governance, what do you mean by governance? Right. Governance is talking about things like uh, diversity on, on the corporate board, um, how they how they treat their employees, how they treat their suppliers, their customers. It's just looking at all aspects of the supply chain and how the company is run uh, overall. And 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 it's not a it's not a yes or no type scale. It, it's it's a you know, one company might be a two, another company might be a ten. Yeah. Um, on that on that scale, and they might rank differently on different subcategories for that. So there it breaks down into a lot of different areas, but it's basically asking you how the company is run. I know in that Morningstar article it said that there were over 300 mutual funds today that are ESG oriented and they're out there you know they've adopted this ESG strategy. That's a that's a lot of mutual funds. I mean and 300, you know, I can see that just doubling and continuing because a lot of there's a lot of noise about it. You heard Bob talk about it. And so with 300 today, where do you see it going? Oh, I mean, with 300 today, I mean, as the popularity continues to grow and as and as money continues to flow into that sector, I think you're going to see the number of funds grow as well. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that, I mean, there weren't 300 funds invested in ESG five years ago. Okay. And so it's not just the assets, it's, it's the number of managers and companies that are wanting to get into it. And it's not just ESG firms. Like it used to be ESG, it was, a, it was an ESG-specific company. Well, now you have a lot more mainstream companies that have been managing money for for decades or longer that are now opening their own ESG funds. And what are they screening for? What are they looking for? Uh, typically, they're looking for 
uh, they're, they're screening out things like alcohol, tobacco, abortion, pornography, weapons manufacture, those types of things. Now, it, it can be different from fund to fund. You have to know, I mean, you have to look at what the fund's uh, prospectus says, what that manager's screening for. They're not all created equal. Um, some will screen for one category, but not another. So you really have to get to know the fund itself, in addition to all of the normal research you would do in picking an investment. Uh, how long's the manager been there? How many assets do they have? What has their performance been versus their peers? You still have to do all that research as well, but also you have to know what exactly is that manager trying to avoid. But it's a whole plethora of different categories uh, that are now available for screening with those kinds of investments. You know, guys, we've run out of time, but I, we don't even have time to do the idea behind advantages and disadvantages. And, and in the remaining 45 seconds, Drew, advantages or disadvantages or both or what's your thoughts? There are both. Uh, for Like Scott talked about, you've got the advantage of being able to align your investments more closely with your values. Value system, so that's an advantage. That's yeah. the advantage. The disadvantage is, is that because of the some of the areas they're investing in, it's subject to a lot of political and regulatory risk. Uh, if Congress were to ban a particular service that uh, that a ESG fund uh, specifically avoids, but that's legal, that could end up hurting that ESG fund. I think people need to understand it's the good and there's some bad, and you just have to be sure you seek some advice like you guys to find out really what they should be doing. I want to thank these guys for being with us today, talking about some great subjects. Of course, my guest, Bob Dahl, Chief Investment Officer of Crossmark Global Investments, Scott Jordan and Drew Johnson from Shoemaker Financial. If you want to listen to this podcast, I want to remind you, you can find the podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker and subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. To talk to these guys, 901-757-5757. Next week, my guest Rusty Leonard is going to talk about the update on the economy, and Stuart and Steve Anderson is going to help us with something about building the portfolio and knowing the market. Ted Mine is going to also talk about Social Security as part of your financial plan. That's Wednesday and Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. right here on KWAM, the mighty 990. If you have questions and you would like them answered on the program from Drew or Scott or anybody, and just send them to Talk Money at ShoemakerFinancial.com. We'll definitely get them on the air. Thanks so much for listening. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, and Drew Johnson are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. 